Hi and welcome to the Mount Hamilton Baptist Church podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. For more information, go to mhbc.ca. Well, good morning, church family. This is a reading from God's Holy Word from Ephesians 4 and verses 7 to 16. You'll find it on page 948 in your pew Bible. But to each one of us, grace has been given as God apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. I got my stand organized. Thanks, Leslie. We all have roles. We appreciate that. I couldn't figure that out this morning. And so it is a new season, and we are starting a new theme for this, uh, the months to come. And last week, I explained that this new theme, as you've seen on your handout when you came in and will now come on the screen, is called All Call. We are digging into the passage of Scripture that Wayne just read for us. We heard it last week as well from the book of Ephesians. The Bible is a book of many smaller books, and these books have different genres. The book of Ephesians was a letter. It was written in the first century, I believe by a man named Paul, who was an important leader, an apostle we call him, and he wrote these words down, inspired by God, and they were sent to the early church. This is right when churches are just starting. It's the first time people are becoming Christians, and they would receive these letters, and they would read them to learn what it meant to follow Jesus. And the book of Ephesians has beautiful descriptions about what that means. And it says that now you follow Jesus, you are children of light instead of darkness. You can walk in light instead of dark. It says that you are adopted, that you are all God's children. I love that line in the new song we sang, uh, one blood, because we're now family. 
And it talks about how we're unified. And this is interesting because this was a time in history where there were people who had slaves. There was quite a clear class system in order. And there was this clear, there's this new thing that the Bible is saying that now everyone is equal. You're all brothers and sisters in Christ, which was quite radical. And as we read this letter, we get to this fourth chapter, and it talks more about this, and it talks about how now God's people are going to be unified together, and it talks about how we've all been made and all gifted. And last week, we dug into really one verse, and you can hear that sermon online if you want on our website. You can listen to the podcast, or on Facebook, you could also watch our at home online service Sunday at home from last week. And I talked about this verse quite a bit. And it's found in verse 7, chapter 4, verse 7, which says simply, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. To each one of us, Christ has given us what we need. We talked about how we are all gifted, that we're all called, not just pastors, not just ministers, not just people who lead the music up here, but that you're all called and you all have gifts. Now this week, we're going to dig more into the rest of these verses. And as I was reading these verses, do you know what I found myself thinking? I found myself wondering if when Paul was writing this down, he had a three-year-old sitting behind him. And I'll tell you why. If you uh, have kids or you have nieces or nephews or you've worked with kids, you will know the season where the kids go through where this happens, where you say something and they go, why? Remember this? Let me give you an example. Honey, uh, let's go get your shoes on. Why? Well, because we're going in the car. Why? Well, we're going to go see grandma and grandpa. Why? Well, we really like grandma and grandpa. Why? I don't know why we like grandma. And so this whole thing progresses. Any of you live through this with kids? Why? 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 And you know, as you, <laughs> that was the hardiest amen I got from out there in a while. There. <laughs> Brother Jamie, feeling you, yeah. <laughs> and so um, as we looked at this passage, I wondered if Paul had someone in the background going, why? 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 Because you'll see as you go through it, it's almost like he's answering that line by line. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at it why, line by line and answer those, he already says about those whys. And so it says this in verse 7, to each one of us grace has been given is great, Christ apportioned it. And then it explains those gifts a bit later, and it says in verse 11, where we're going to pick up, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. And this is where we might say, why? Well, we get a line. And here's the first line. To prepare, to equip his people for works of service. service. To equip his people for works of service. It's so quite simply put, God calls us and gives us these gifts that we may use these gifts to serve God and others. And of course, we can recognize that there are, are alternatives. People have gifts that they don't use for God. For example, someone might have a wonderful gift of being an evangelist. And when we talk about evangelist in this category, we're talking about someone who's very good at showing the wonderful nature of God that would make people want to know God and know God better. But evangelists, people with that gift of evangelism, also make amazing salespeople. They make great salespeople. Often people with the gift of evangelism are in business. They're in advertising, those kind of things. And just as much as that gift can be used for a good thing, 
it can be used in very negative ways as well, right? Some with the gift of evangelism could say, I'm just going to use it to make a whole lot of money. They could use it to say, I'm going to uh, actually mislead people. They could use it to swindle people. I think perhaps the duck people that keep calling me are misusing <laughs> their gift of evangelism. In the same way, someone with the gift of teaching, many of you are teachers here, and you use that gift well in churches. The gift of teaching is often used uh, when I'm doing what I'm doing right now. It's sometimes used for people who lead small groups who are, uh, and who teach Sunday school and all those kind of things. And in the world, there are lots of teachers out there teaching our kids very well, right? And they teach them all kinds of different things. But teaching can also be used in a very negative way. And teaching can be used to mislead people and teach false information. And so when God says he's given us these gifts, the important thing to remember is he's saying the purpose of the gifts is to equip the people for, of God. It's to use them for God's glory. They're to do God's work. It's a distortion we can forget. I'm going to tell you a little story that might make some of you not like me much, but here I go. A number of years ago, my son was just seven or eight, and he had just started to play baseball, just league baseball. He never played in a highly competitive league. And one day he said to me, Mom, if I played for the Blue Jays, would you be so proud of me? This is where you might like me, because my answer was, maybe. This is what I said. And he went, and I said, well, you know, if you play for the Blue Jays, and you just do it to make a lot of money and be really famous, I wouldn't be proud of that. But if you played for the Blue Jays and you did it for God, and you said, this is how God's gifted me and called me, and I'm going to use my money to help others, I'm going to use this to share God's love, then I'd be proud. Then I'd be proud. And I said, what you do is actually fairly irrelevant to me. Who you do it for matters a lot. It's easy for us to forget that, isn't it? <laughs> Because we live in a world where using these gifts get held up in certain ways. And we're just like, oh, that's so amazing. But the truth is we've been gifted that we might serve God and others. Now, I want to be clear, that doesn't mean you only use those gifts in a church. I'm not saying, well, if you're not, if you're not using that gift specifically in your church community, you're missing out. As I already mentioned, of course, people use those gifts in all different places. Wherever God has placed you, some of you are indeed gifted teachers. And you use those gifts to serve God every day in our school system. And some of you are gifted with the gift of pastoring. And I explained last week that when that word pastor is used there, it doesn't mean the role I have now. It means people who are shepherding, who are nurturing, who care for people's bodies and souls. And a lot of you use that gift as social workers, and you work in group homes. Those are wonderful gifts of God to serve God and others. There are so many ways we can work to honor God, and that includes people who work in business and salespeople. All these things we can do in a way that honors God, remembering God has given us the gifts. The Bible was, this part of the Bible... When it was first written down, it was written in a form of Greek that we no longer speak. And so when we translate it today, we find the words that are now in Greek, and sometimes we're really confident what that word means because there's lots of descriptions of it. And sometimes to understand what that word means, we look at other places that word was used at that time to understand it better. And it can be fun to see other ways those words were used. So the word that we translate equip here in Greek is kartasman, 
And other ways, we tra- sometimes it's translated as to perfect someone. So some translations of this say God is perfecting of us. God is perfecting us. Sometimes it says enabling. Sometimes it says prepare. But you know the neat thing? That word that we translate here to equip us is the same word that in that form of Greek was used to set someone's broken bone. So I think that's kind of interesting, isn't it? So that same word would be used when your bone needed to be reset. So that's the same thing God does when he's gifting us to prepare us to serve others. That he's setting us right. That he's setting us to make us strong. That we may serve God and others. So why have, we have been gifted and called. Why? To prepare for service. But remember, I think Paul's got a three-year-old behind him. So then the three-year-old says, but why? And then we get the next line because he keeps going. And if we look at the, the next slide... And so it says, so Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up. And what happens when we do this is that our body becomes stronger. The image of a body is often used to describe the church, that all of us together make one body of Christ. It's a metaphor. It's an illustration. And it makes a lot of sense. And it says that as we're all using our gifts, this whole body All the people of Christ are built up. There is uh, great logic to this. I read a story, I guess like a quote this week, by an artist. I, I haven't heard of him before, but his name was Brian Eno. And he talked about coining this word senius, S C E N I U S. Now, let me explain it. Here's his quote. Brian, the artist, says, I was an art student, and like all art students, I was encouraged to believe that there were a few great figures like Picasso and Rembrandt and so on that were geniuses, that they appeared out of nowhere and they started a revolution. But as I looked at art more and more, I discovered that wasn't what happened. What really happened was that there were very fertile scenes that involved lots of people. Some of them were artists, collectors, curators, thinkers, and I thought, that original, I thought that originally those few individuals who'd survived in history, that they were geniuses. But what I realized was that they came out of a scene that allowed it to happen. So I came up with this word, senius, to describe the intelligence of the whole. Now, hopefully that makes sense to you. And basically what he's saying is often we look at this one person, we think that great person did it. But it involves a whole lot of things working together. And the church is not a collection of geniuses. It's a senius. Great word, right? It's a senius. It's all of us working together. And sometimes we think a church that's healthy and doing well, we give credit to one or two people. We say, oh, man, it's because the worship leader is so gifted or the preaching is so good. I mean, clearly that's what you all say. (laughs) Kidding. Note the rest of the sermon. And so, but we sometimes do that, right? We give credit to what, almost like these one or two geniuses. When it's everyone working together, it's everyone using their gifts. So even to use an example, and this happens all the time at Mount Hamilton, that I get credit for things that, in fact, a whole lot of people were a part of doing. And just a couple of weeks ago, we're getting ready for our pods. We'll talk about those a bit more later. Those are our small groups, our six-week courses we do throughout the year. And I had my vision of how I wanted to do the pods, and I had, I thought, Well, we're going to get people to meet in people's homes, and they'll study the passages we're learning together about spiritual gifts and how we can discover our gifts. 
And then I talked to a couple people, and Darlene Goodwin said, you know, I actually had an idea. I feel like God is leading me to have one of the pods be for people who are grieving or really struggling so that they'd have a safe place to talk about these things with people like them. And I said, well, that's a great idea. We should totally do that. And then Diane King said, well, we'd, me and Mike would really love to have a group where kids could be included. And so people with school-age kids could meet on a Sunday afternoon, busy week, and they don't have to get sitters, and they could all come out. Wow, another great idea, Diane. It was getting better all the time. And then Mariah, um, many of you know Mariah Loker. Uh, she, you may not know this, she does all the logos for us. And she came up with that beautiful logo. And then Leslie looked at it and said, you know, this one color, I think this other color would really work. And then that fabulous red came together. And all of these things we see were actually a whole bunch of people coming together. It's a seniors. It's not one person. And that's how the church is designed to work, with all people using their gifts so the church can be all Christ has envisioned it to be. And then the three-year-old says, why? Well, let's keep going. And so the next verse says, until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. i got to tell you, this is an interesting twist to me. It says, why is all this happening? So we're given these gifts, and then we use them that we must serve others to build the body of Christ so that we become mature in our faith. i got to tell you, I didn't see that being the next line. And it's interesting. It says that as we do this, we become closer to becoming God, who God wants us to be. Part of that is that we're unified. God brings us more and more to unity. Interestingly, that the more we live in our differences, the more we become unified. Because unity isn't that we're all the same, right? It's that we're moving in the same direction towards Christ. And we're also told that we grow in the knowledge of Christ. And as this word knowledge here, I've talked about how the Greek has, you know, those different nuances. The word uh, for knowledge here in the original Greek meant a knowledge that wasn't just head knowledge. It meant knowledge that went deeper than just information. And so it says we grow in the knowing of Christ. Not just knowing about Christ, but the knowing about Christ. And then as we use our gifts... We become more and more like Christ, who is making us mature, attaining to the measure of the fullness of Christ. That's a big thing. Attaining to the measure of the fullness of Christ, we look more like Christ looks, and, and we are able to ha- receive all that Christ has for us to look like Jesus, which is our goal. He is the one after whom we model our lives. And then the three-year-old says, why? <laughs> and he keeps going. And in verse 14, uh, it then it actually explains this a little bit more. And he says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and thrown here and there, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. And so the why there is, you know, why are we becoming more mature? Because actually in our faith, we begin like children. And the Bible uses that illustration a number of times to invite us to mature out of childhood. In the book of Hebrews, there's a passage that talks about, you know, when you started, you just wanted milk, but now you're ready to have solid food. There's a passage that says, when I was a child, I walked like a child, I talked like a child, but now, I'm man, I put childish things behind me. And so Jesus, the scripture frequently uses this image of growing up as we grow in our faith. And so what do we mean then by a childish faith? Because now Paul's saying we're going to move out of this childish faith. So let's look at how he describes that childish faith, which is up here. And uh, I'm going to mention four of these things. I think the first two kind of go together. 
A childish faith has a lack of self-control, and it reacts big and violently to things. Now, if you know children, children have a lack of self-control. Would you agree? If someone makes them mad, they hit. If, someone, if they're upset about something, they fall on the ground and stop screaming, start screaming. When things don't go their way, they react big. They react violently. But I wanted that. I didn't get the green plate. Right? And so in similar ways, a childish faith does the same thing. In a childish phase of our faith, we do not have self-control. We say, I can do what I want when I want. If I'm angry, I can respond with anger because I deserve to. Uh, we respond with big emotions, big feelings. And not that the emotions themselves are bad, but the actions that follow can be dangerous. We respond by lashing out, screaming at people, or hitting people sometimes even. We justify it. But even in more pragmatic ways without self-control, we say, I don't need to wait till the covenant of marriage to, be, to, to sleep with somebody. You know, I don't, that's not self-control. We say I, all these things that we justify and we explain that self-control is not important. But it is. And the childish faith has no self-control. Secondly, and this is the, excuse me, and then in the passage itself, this is the image he uses. How he describes it is a faith that's tossed to and fro like the wind. Right? It's like the wind tossing and turning. And again, the Greek word there is the word whirled around until you got dizzy. So it's saying, waving in these winds is like whirling around until we get dizzy. And that's what a childish faith can be like, because we're just responding and reacting to everything. Similarly, a childish faith is easily deceived. You can convince children of anything. How many of you have convinced your child that the tooth fairy forgotten will come the next day? I mean, I mean I've totally done that, just in case you thought that was a judgment at all right there. We had a day fairy there for a while. She came in the day instead of the night. So the, um, there is a day shift. And so the, um, the next thing it says is that they're easily deceived. Um, and again, this word here that's being used when it talks about cunning and craftiness, the Greek word is the same word that they would use for playing with dice. So there's this image of gambling. It's so fun. And so they talk about almost playing like we're gambling with things, that we're easily deceived. And a childish faith is like that as well. A faith that is not yet grown up is one that says, well, I read this book, and now I think that's all true. Or I heard this speaker, and now I'm following all that. Or I saw this video on YouTube, and now I'm going there. And it's very easy to get misled. And a childish faith needs to be entertained. Children need to be entertained every minute, don't they? They are like, you just do something. How many of you have brought your kids? You know, you spend a whole day at Wonderland. You get home, and they go, so what are we doing now? And so we've been there. And similarly, when we are childish in our faith, we want to be entertained. I don't like that song. I'm bored of that church. And we keep going to the next thing. Now, this is not a criticism to say if this is the season that you are in. A childish faith, childish is a negative term, but we could use an early faith or a starting faith because our faith can be like this simply because we're new Christians. Some of you are in your 60s and you're new Christians. That's wonderful. And so these things are still things that you're learning. But sometimes we have a childish faith simply because we've never chosen to grow up. And we've been Christian for years and years and years. And we still have these things because we haven't grown up into a mature faith. But God desires for us to have a mature faith. God is inviting us to deeper and deeper maturity. And the interesting thing is, as that happens, we see that it happens as we use our gifts. It happens as we serve others, as we become part of a healthy community, and then we move towards this greater maturity. 
So let me summarize what this passage says. It says, I've given you, in the next slide as well, I've given you gifts and called you. Sorry, one more. I've given you gifts and called you. Why? To prepare you for service. Why? To build up the body of Christ. Why? So you will grow in unity and knowledge and become mature. Why? So you will not have a childish faith. See how it all lines out? And then Paul gives this promise in these words of what it looks like as this keeps happening. In verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is the Christ. So we will grow. And from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so there's that promise. Don't be discouraged if you're like, oh, I am overreactive. I'm not good at self-control. Oh, I am easily deceived. As we serve and as we grow, we will get more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, and God will build our body up. That's great news. And we want to do this because we can also remember that there is an alternative. Because the alternative is that we can live in a body where we aren't making space for our calls or where we're not each serving in our gifts for lots of different reasons. And, and to paint a picture of the alternative, let me give you a couple of images. Imagine if you were, remember we talked about the church as a body. So imagine if I was standing up in front of you and from head to toe, I was covered in festering, oozing sores. Nice image, right? And it looked horrible. I was clearly in a terrible place. But my hand was in perfect shape. And you said to me, Leanne, what is wrong with you? And I said, what are you talking about? Look how great my hand looks. My hand is perfect. And you're like, the rest of your body is oozing in sores and boils. I'm like, no, look, it's awesome. I'm doing great. That is what the body can look like when we focus on ourselves, right? And there's some of us like, I'm doing great. But if the rest of your body is festering, you're not doing great. We are all a body. We can't just look at our own selves because that's not how it works. Similarly, can you imagine if I came up here with crutches, I was limping, I wasn't putting any weight on my one foot, I was losing this foot, and you said to me, Leanne, what happened? What happened to your foot? And then somehow my foot could speak up, and my foot said, I just need a little me time today, and um, I just don't really feel like kind of doing anything. I just kind of want to sit back for a while. And then you said, or maybe my foot said, we'll go the other way. Maybe my foot said, oh, I don't really think I'm very important. Like, I don't have a very, I don't really have anything to offer this body, so I'm just not going to do anything. You'd say, come on, foot. <laughs> Clearly they need you. Your body is not as healthy, not able to do all it can when you're not serving your role. And so similar in the same way when we say, for whatever reason, I'm not going to get, use my gifts right now. Maybe, again, it is because we don't feel we have anything. Maybe it's just because we kind of don't want to. The body becomes less. And it happens in the church as well. And we can see this not just in small churches, but in the collective church as a whole. Let me remind you of the gifts that we're talking about. And I'm going to put up this slide again with the five. And as I said, there's these, each of these are a little, we're going to talk about these a bit, but I'll do it briefly. If we start with apostle, apostle are like the groundbreakers, they're starters, they're innovators, they're often ones who start churches and start ministries. Prophets are ones who speak truth, and they call us to remember what Scripture says and how God has led us. Teachers teach. Pastors, as I mentioned, have that shepherding role. They look out for people. They love people. We have lots of those here. And evangelists are those who are able to reach out and help people see the wonderful thing to follow Christ. 
Well, of course, the desire is for all these roles to play a part. But let's paint a picture of a church that maybe is missing some. So let's say we've got this slide, and we have a church that's amazing in those bottom three. Tons of apostles, always starting a new thing, great prophets, truthful, and evangelists, bringing people in all the time. But we lack the gifts of pastors, and we don't have anyone. Again, I'm not talking about this job. I'm talking about that role of caring for people. Well, what happens in that church is that's a church that feels harsh. That's a church where people bring lots of people in. Maybe you've had this experience. Lots come in, lots come in. But after a while, you don't feel cared for. It's often when people are pushed out of roles and tasks because they don't feel good enough for them. People get pushed to the sidelines. This is a church that people leave often feeling scarred and damaged because they didn't have the pastors there to balance those other things out. What about if we miss the mark of evangelism and we only have teachers and pastors? That's often how modern churches work. We put a lot of emphasis on those two, on teaching well and caring for others well. Well, that is a church where you will feel very loved. You will get meals when you've been sick. You will be called when you're away. People will love each other well. But without the other gifts, they will love each other right up until the last funeral and the church closes its doors because there's no new life coming in. You need that too. To use a more extreme example, an author named Alan Hirsch, who grew up in South Africa, talks about what it can look like when the church loses its prophetic function, and that's the voice that calls us to God's truth. He says, a church that suppresses the prophetic function is likely to be the kind of church I grew up in in racist South Africa, which legitimized apartheid long before it was political theory. The church had silenced its prophetic function and its capacity to attend to God, and was blinded to its own sin. And we can look around that in our own culture as well and see a church that did not speak against residential schools, and eras where churches defended slavery, and even now where we don't speak out against evil and we're silent when we should speak. And that's when the church has lost part of its function as well, and then it loses its ability to speak to the world. We have all been gifted and called, then, to build up the church, and when we are due, we are actually building the very body of Christ. And so my invitation for you today is to use your gifts. Now, maybe you have no idea what those are or how to use them. We're going to be talking a lot about that. You can join a pod to learn that. You can also come and talk to one of us. We want to discover and use these gifts. Why? That the church may be built up and that we may grow in unity and that we may be more and more like Christ, that our faith will continue to mature. And as we move forward from that, what happens is Christ, who is our head, is glorified. What happens is people look at that body and they say, that is what Christ is like. That's a really good thing. So let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you have gifted and called each of us so powerfully. And we thank you that those gifts are different and they are each so important that we need everybody here. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us the the calling, the confidence, and the understanding of what our gifts are, that we may use them, that we would have that to make space for others to use their gifts. Lord, help us to grow into that body of Christ uh, that looks more and more like you. Amen.